Listen, um, we start a new series today. I pray, God, that the series that we just completed has been helpful to you. For those of you who would like to hear it again, it will be on the website. You just go there and you can watch messages on demand. And the name of that particular message was the three categories of thinking. Wonderful series. I enjoyed it. I pray, God, that it's been beneficial to you. You know, right now, again, starting a new series, I wanted to talk about our faith, talk about who we're supposed to be as Christians. And and sometimes that needs to be uncluttered. So the name of this particular series is entitled Uncluttered Faith. Uncluttered. You know, every now and then stuff gets so mismanaged and kind of confusing. And, and before long, that which was pure becomes sometimes contaminated by misconceptions, by philosophies, by all kinds of things. So what we wanted to do in this particular series is kind of take the time to unravel or unclutter what is our simple faith. You know, um, during the heyday of our country in Nassau, when we were racing to be the first people to the moon, there was a great lady who worked at Nassau named Katherine Johnson. And Katherine Johnson referred to herself as a, 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 a computer in a skirt. Her mind was that keen and wonderful. And her mathematic abilities were beyond comprehension at the time. And she was able to work out very complex mathematical problems. But one of her greatest theories was as they were making the trajectories or making the directions to the moon... She counseled and warned them that a small millimeter off at launch would cause them to miss the moon by a couple thousand miles. That small millimeter at launch would cause them to miss the moon by a couple thousand miles. So it just tells me that when something starts off, we have to be careful about how it starts and that we keep that azimuth or that trajectory true or else we can end up way off the mark and not even realize that we're off the mark. And for some of us, that's what has happened to our faith. It started off pure and wonderful and an acceptance and some tears and, 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 and that kind of thing. But the next thing that happened if it happened to you like it happened to me, somebody put you to work. You immediately went to work. You immediately f- tried to find a purpose. And I want you to know today, again, working in the body of Christ is a beautiful thing, and we all should. But sometimes we need to set the direction first about what we're trying to do. So if you go along with me, I'm going to read a little paragraph to you. And it reads as follows. It says, we accept Christ. And jump on the treadmill of service without really knowing him and how to live. Listen to this. This part is very important. We cannot have Christianity without Christ. I know that may sound kind of weird, but it's important for us to get that. You can't have Christianity without Christ. And you can't be a Christian without Christ. Because Christian means to be Christ-like. The term Christianity came about because there was this group of people who lived in a way that they modeled the life of Jesus. And that became the way. Before that, they were called the Nazarene sect or they were called the way. But over time, they, it was called Christianity. Now, hear me. Please hear me. Calm down. Don't, don't get excited. Christianity is not a religion. Let me say it again. <laughs> Christianity is not a religion. 
Christianity is the ultimate form of relationship. The ultimate form of relationship. What has happened is Christianity has become a religion to a lot of people. So as soon as they accept Jesus, bam, they're on the treadmill running, serving, serving. But the problem with that is they usually begin to serve thinking that they're going to make themselves right with God through their service. Not realizing that their confession has already made them right. With God, When you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you take everything that he has done for us and his blood then washes you clean, which now makes you acceptable to God. Once you understand that, that you're not working for acceptance, that you're working from acceptance. You're not working for acceptance. You're working from acceptance. Once you understand that, that changes how you do this thing and it keeps your trajectory true. Y'all with me this morning? Is this making sense? So I wanted to take the time today to kind of talk about where we are right now, how confusing this thing is right now. And I've, <laughs> we all know there's some confusing stuff going on, but what I'm concerned about in this series is our faith. What is it that we confess? What is it that we say we are? Wearing a cross around your neck is a beautiful thing, but that doesn't make you a Christian. Having a bumper sticker on your car is a beautiful thing, but that doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian? That means you are Christ-like. So Satan would love very much to confuse you in this matter. He would love very much to get you off your trajectory to get you off so you miss the mark by a thousand miles. That's what he wants. So how does he do that? I'll tell you another thing. You ready? Satan doesn't care if you come to church. He really doesn't care if you come to church. Matter of fact, he'll pack some churches out. What he's concerned about is you becoming the church. That's what he doesn't want. He doesn't want you to become the church. He doesn't mind if you go to church. I sure hope you're all understanding me today. This thing is about an intimate relationship between you and Jesus. And that's what Satan wants to stop. That intimate relationship. Let's go to a verse that I think will begin to explain to us what we're trying to lay down today. This is where we are, at least most of us now, as a people. This is from John chapter 5 in the Amplified Translation. And it reads as follows. This is Jesus speaking. He says, you search... And keep on searching and examining the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And yet it is those very scriptures that testify about me. And still you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Our life is in Christ. You can know the book and not know the author. I hope you all are following me today. You can know all of these scriptures and memorize them and be able to speak them out and and impress people with what you know. But it's never about what you know. It's about who you know. It's important for us to get this. The scripture should lead us to find Jesus. It should lead us so this these scriptures would open him up. They would manifest him to us because it is to him that we have this relationship. I know a bunch of folks who can recite scripture. 
I know there were some that I met in crack houses and different places <laughs> during my you know, law enforcement time that could repeat, could recite scripture. But they didn't know the author or the God of those scriptures. How about you today? You know, you can make it a, a thing. Oh, man, I, I read the Bible every morning. I am consistent. I read it for two hours every day. I am consistent. Do you know the Jesus of the Bible? Because we are called to come to him. We are called to have this relationship with him. And when you do, it changes who you are. Right now, we got some Bible thumping, scripture yelling individuals who are somewhat confused. They're off their trajectory. We don't want you to be. Let's go to another verse as we try to unfold this today. This is Matthew chapter 12, and it's going to be in the New Living Testament translation. It says, at about that time, Jesus was walking through grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. So they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. Let me set the standard. It was a Sunday. It was the Sabbath. And they were hungry, so they were eating some of the grain. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested. I don't know why these Pharisees followed Jesus around all the time, but I have a clue. They knew who he was. They didn't want other people to know who he was. But we'll talk about that later. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested. Look, your disciples are breaking the law By harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his commandment companions were hungry? I love this. He went into the house of God and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests or allowed to eat. So David and them went into the temple and they ate the sacred loaves of bread. Why did they eat them? Because they were hungry. Jesus is our bread. He is the bread of life. We are to eat him because we are hungry. Let me just just bring this point to you. It says the bread that was in the temple was for the hungry, not just the privileged. See, the priests were privileged. They were above everybody else. They could eat the bread whenever they were hungry. But the bread, Jesus, is for the hungry. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, Jesus is for us. So the bread that was in the temple represents Jesus as the bread of life that we all should eat from. But again, the bread is for the hungry. Those who hunger after Jesus, not just the privileged, because the priests were privileged. Are y'all following me today? Listen closely. And it said, this is Jesus continuing. He says, and haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priest on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? Who was our high priest? Jesus. So who can make what decision? See, the Sabbath was made for us, not us for it. 
So Jesus, who is the priest, he is the high priest. He can work whenever he wants to because he is the high priest. So when does he work for us? All the time. How do we miss that? Again, we're so busy working. We're so busy trying to find so much our purpose that we forget that there's a Jesus we're supposed to have a relationship with. He is the one who says that if you eat of me, you'll never go hungry. Meaning you'll never get angry or get upset and want to leave and want to argue and fight. I mean, we're human beings. We're always going to have those instances, but we don't live there. I sure hope this is making sense to you today. Let me finish reading. He says, I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. (laughs) That's Jesus. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Again, a real dilemma. Jesus is giving them a paradigm shift. He's changing their minds back. He says, I want you to exhibit mercy, not just offer sacrifices. Why is this important? You can become, become extremely cold and just offering sacrifices and not care about people. Jesus died for us because God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. It was love that kept Jesus on the cross. So we are supposed to exchange mercy first. We're supposed to give mercy first. Why? Because it was given to us. We are to give it first. But sometimes this is what we do. This is the church I go to. And my church doesn't like that group of people. This is the church I go to. I'm saved. Those people aren't. That's offering sacrifices that he doesn't need. There's only one sacrifice that God is pleased with. And his name is Jesus. And once that sacrifice was made for us, then all of this changes because he is the high priest. He is the temple. He is the loaves of bread. He is our Sabbath. That's who we rest in is in Jesus. But once we miss that mark, We become cold. We become callous. We don't have mercy for others. We're too busy offering sacrifice. You know, I haven't missed paying my tithes in 14 years. But every day you miss showing mercy to your brother. Showing mercy to your sister. You miss having compassion. Can you see what I'm talking about today? There has to be this beginning, this launch point that keeps you zeroed in on your trajectory. Let me finish. It says, for the son of man is Lord, even over the what? Over the Sabbath. So this this program that the Pharisees were observing, they didn't understand, but they were angry. They were protesting. Why? Because they didn't like the situation that Jesus and his disciples were fulfilling. They didn't want that. Y'all, y'all are eating on Sabbath. I remember we had went on a, a trip. A group of us, including my wife, had went to Jordan and then into Israel. And we're in a hotel in Israel on the Sabbath. And again, we're on the eighth floor of this hotel is where our room was. And they have this incredible restaurant downstairs that is buffet style. And our 
the price we paid to be in the hotel paid for the meal. So it's time for the for dinner. So my wife and I dressed. Excuse me, we got on the elevator. And you do every <laughs> you do what normal people do when they get on the elevator. You reach over to push the button so you can go down. I got on the elevator, stood by the button control panel, reached to put my finger on the button, and some lady slapped my hand. What are you doing? I'm like, ma'am, I'm trying to do what normal people do is get on the elevator. I mean, get to my floor. She said to me, you don't work on the Sabbath. And I went, work? I know what work is. I used to work in the steel mill. I used to work in the army. I know what work is. Pushing this button. No. But she, she was adamant and she was angry at me for trying to push the button. So, after she told me that, I noticed that all the buttons on the elevator were preset. Show you how deep this law thing is. The elevator buttons were preset to stop at every floor going down. So nobody would have to work. Well, we get downstairs to the cafeteria, and it's a buffet line to get food. I've never been jostled and pushed and ignored greater than I have in that buffet, in that place, trying to get food. People pushing in front of me, people doing, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. The other people who went on the trip can tell you the same thing. It was horrible. So the same people that were honoring not pushing a button on the elevator were the same people who were cruel and nasty to their brother and sister. Is anybody hearing me today? This is how our faith gets cluttered. So today, if you, right now, if you are experiencing this this incredible hate, this incredible division, this incredible stuff in your spirit, you have these people lined up. You know that these people are evil. That's not what God called you to do. God called you to offer mercy, not Sacrifices. I pray God this is helping somebody today. Let's go to another verse and see if this one will help us. This is Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Listen closely. It says, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrive from Jerusalem. They're seeking help now, trying to get help to get this Jesus (laughs) to see Jesus. They asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age old tradition? The the Pharisees created these oral laws that they added on to the laws that were given. So they added on to these things. And sometimes if you read Leviticus or one of those books, you'll get a good understanding of what some of those laws sound like. They can be pretty, pretty overbearing. But listen closely. Why do your disciples disobey our age old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand washing before they eat. So, if you didn't wash your hands the right way, wash is the correct word because I'm from Pennsylvania. All the rest of y'all say wash and that's wrong. But if you didn't wash your hands (laughs) in the right kind of ceremonial way, they were able to judge you. They judged you because you didn't wash your hands in the way that was their tradition. Let me make sure we understand this because churches have to the point created systems within the so-called church 
is that people have to jump these hoops to be a part of anything. Ah, sure hope you're, you're hearing me today. See, we're supposed to come to Christ. We have created systems that says, no, you come to this church first. And if, and, and if you okay, then we may, if you ceremonial wash your hands the right way, I might let you come to my Bible study. Ah, sure hope you all are hearing me today. This is what we've done. And what has that done? It has hurt people. <laughs> These people now must leave their trajectory to get on yours. And every step that they take takes them further away from an intimate relationship with Christ. But let me read on. Jesus replied, and why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? So here's this situation. The traditions that are violating the direct commandment of God. I'm going to say it one more time. The traditions that are violating the correct commandments of God. Do you know any of those traditions that we have that violate God's commandment? Oh, yeah. We'll get to that in a minute. You know. And this is why this particular series is important. I need you to really evaluate what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you're feeling. Let's go on. It says, for God, for instance, this is Jesus teaching. For instance, God says, honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. That's the law. Listen closely. But you say, it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you. For I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. I love my Jesus. I loved, I give Jesus all of me. I just can't stand those people. I just can't stand that group. I just can't stand them. I just can't stand that. I just can't stand this. But I've given myself to all of me to Jesus. But you have these laws. You have these traditions that have covered up and draped over the cross of Christ. And now your traditions are more important. How powerful was this? These people who fought their way of life, their traditions were the ultimate. Jesus is showing them something different. Does he need to show you something different today? You know, again, I... I like to know when our faith became the hate movement. Or the movement that identifies who's going to heaven and who isn't. Or identify people in in the part of their journey and try to identify them as being evil or monstrous or ugly. There was a long time that anybody who, who spoke Arabic or lived in a Muslim country was considered enemy but when somebody was bold enough to ignore what they wore and take them jesus now the middle east is one of the fastest growing christian regions in the world they are baptizing more people in the middle east than all the churches in america combined why because it is not our job to deny people it is our job to offer mercy Every human being, every knee will bow. 
So that makes every person a potential Christian. All you got to do is present to them Christ and not your traditions, not our laws, because our laws push people away. They don't bring people in. Well, Pastor Ben, how do you expect to manage a church? In Acts chapter 2, these people met Jesus in the upper room. The Holy Spirit came to them in the upper room. They went outside and changed the world. They changed the world. Why? Because they were teaching people to have an intimate relationship with Christ. Paul comes along and says, the mystery is Christ in you. Christ living in you. See, we kind of miss that. We are no longer connected to the vine. We are connected to organizations. We are connected to philosophies. We are connected to political movements. This is what we're connected to. Those things are not Jesus and they cannot be turned around to become him. Anything you add to Jesus takes away from his glory and his power. He is enough all by himself. I pray God this is helping you today. It says in this way, this is what Jesus said. You say they don't need to honor their parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. I need us to grasp that for a second. How horrible of a situation that would be to cancel the word of God. To cancel the word of God because of our behavior. Think about the people who need Jesus. We sing the song, people need the Lord, people need the Lord. When will we realize they need Jesus, but because my laws have become so great that I would prefer to teach them my traditions rather than teach them Jesus. Almost done, brothers and sisters. Matthew chapter 22. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the, I always, I always like to call them the sad, sad to sees. They were sad to see Jesus, but the Sadducees. <laughs> but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. I need you to get this. The, their traditions were so important to them that they refused to let them go. In the face of Jesus, they refused to let their traditions go. So rather than give up and go to Christ, they got together to try to work a way that their traditions would still overcome Jesus. If you're out there today thinking that Jesus hates the people you hate, I'm telling you you're wrong. And when he manifests his love for them, where does that leave you? My job is to make sure you get this, that you transition. We were not called to determine who can go and who doesn't. We were called to offer mercy. We were called to go into all the land of the world and tell them about Jesus. But be careful that your tradition cancels the word of God. We're almost done. It says one of them, an expert, I love this part, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart 
all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Greek word for neighbor in that particular verse is plazon. Plazon. Plazon means near. So love the person that is near you. But let's go on. It says the entire law. Everybody say the entire law. The entire law and all. All the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. These two commandments. So think about how incredible church would be if we just taught people these two commandments. Why? Because they allow us to self-govern ourselves. If you give God all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and then the second one is equally important as the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. Just a second and I'm going to let you go. When is the last time you wanted to be poor? When is the last time you wanted to be hungry? When is the last time you wanted to live in fear? When is the last time you wanted your family separated and, and broken up? When is the last time you wanted to be hated and ostracized and pushed away? When is the last time that has happened to you that you yearned for that, that you prayed for that? You never have and you never will. But the Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself. And the only way we cannot do that is we've got to cancel the word of God with a tradition. So, I get another verse. You can read it yourself or I'll use it next week. But I'm going to close now. Here's what I need you to do. Check your trajectory. Find out what it is you're aiming at. Do you want to be Christ-like? If you do, you're going to have to check some things and now change some things. There's some great people out there that are coming to Jesus. People who would have never thought that they would accept Jesus Christ. But right now, the sky is clear. Jesus has removed the glare of so many traditions that people can actually just see him. So people are coming to him. I need you to know the depth of what it's like in the Middle East to give up Islam to accept Christianity. I need you to know how deep that is, how much quagmire of tradition had to be overlooked and put to death so they could see clearly Christ. And here, for us, right here, <laughs> we are the ones who are being blinded by traditions. So I'll ask you as we close, let go. Let him have you. Give him all of your heart. All of your soul, all of your mind, give it to him. And he's going to take you somewhere you never thought you could go. But hear me. There was a group of people that decided they didn't want to go along. So instead of letting the children of Israel go out of Egypt, they decided to join Pharaoh in a death chase. They thought. They were going to kill the children of Israel. 
they thought they were going to destroy them. What they forgot is that God loves his people and he protects them. So they rode into the Red Sea. They disregarded the fact that there was two walls of water higher than they'd ever seen before. And they rode into the Red Sea with one motive, one directive. To keep these people under their feet. Jesus had already freed them. So they ended up being drowned in the Red Sea. Brothers and sisters, let's recheck our trajectory. Let's, let's make sure we understand where it is we're going. Next week, we're going to continue this thing. And matter of fact, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue this particular study. Why? Faith over fear. Say it with me one time. Faith over fear. Uncluttered faith over cluttered fear. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you next week.